Hey, Soberholics! We hope you're enjoying the show. We've gotten some great feedback from y'all, but we need more. If you go to iTunes and leave us a review, a written review, it helps others find the show. And if you do this for us by May 31st, you'll receive a free copy of Roger's ebook, Soberholic 12 Steps Later. Make sure to email soberholicpodcast at gmail.com to let us know that you left the review so that we can send you the ebook. In fact, you can pause the show right now and go do that. I give you permission. So, a few weeks ago was Mother's Day. And did I ever tell you what Amanda got for Mother's Day? No. All right, so check it out. You know my wife. She cries over everything. She loves self-made things. Well, my seven-year-old daughter... At school, they got the opportunity to make these little things, and it was 10 Reasons Why I Love You. And it was. It was cute. She's at that age at seven where she can draw a little bit, and her words, they don't really... We're going to write it kind of like it sounds, not really the way you're supposed to spell it. Is that wrong to do that? No, 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 no. But what was cool about it, (laughs) that's kind of still the way I do it now. But what was cool was this is, well, part of it was cool, maybe maybe not all of it, but we had woke up, it was raining that morning. I don't know if you remember that morning, but it was raining really bad. And we kind of got up a little later than we normally do. And we were already kind of going, well, you know, maybe we're not going to go to church today. Here's our excuse. We just needed something. It's cloudy. It's rainy or whatever. I mean, I think we've all had had that excuse Mm -hmm. why we didn't want to go. And so my little girl came down and gave her the Mother's Day. Number one reason why I love my mama, she takes me to church. And oh. it's like, and she's just, and Amanda, my wife, just looks at me and gave me those eyes, you know, and she starts crying. And we made it through the rest of it and was like, okay, y'all go get ready. We're going to church. <laughs> I say that to you because of this, man. It was pretty cool to see recovery work in, in our lives through that, is because what I saw in that was accountability. Now, my little girl didn't know she was holding her parents accountable to take right. her to church. But that's what it did. It was that little nudge to say, all right, get off your butt, get your clothes on, it's time to go to church. Yeah, That's what it did for us. And, you know, in recovery, there's a lot of different things that we pick up. One of those sayings I heard early on in recovery is it works if you work it. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, as we were preparing for this, I got to thinking about, it. you know, it works if you work it. And oftentimes, you know, you could go to a gym and just because you go to a gym doesn't mean it's going to work. You could go to a gym and just dress up and look good in your Under Armour clothes, but just socialize the whole time and you're not going to get any stronger and you're not going to lose any weight. Have you ever been to a gym and experienced that? Oh, yeah. Everybody just looks real good. Yeah. yeah, Or just they they go there just to take the gym selfie and they're there (laughs) like 15 15 minutes. Check in on Facebook. Check in and then they're out of there. (laughs) But then you've got some people who go to the gym and they actually put the work in and they they get better, um, they get stronger, they lose weight, they get in shape. But then you've also got those people who just choose not to go to the gym altogether. Maybe they like swimming or hiking or you know whatever other activities outdoors to help them get into shape. But those work, so that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the gym's wrong. Right. And what's hard for that is is it's not you're all you're always excited to start going to the gym you know you're like yes i'm gonna get a gym membership i'm gonna get all in shape get my beach body all that kind of stuff 
And and usually you go for, you know, a few weeks, maybe. Um, but what's hard is maintaining that over a long period of time. Or that's what's hard for me is is keeping consistent with it. And that's that's what accountability has helped me with in recovery. And just like my little girl saying, you know, you know, we I love my mama because she takes me to church. It was that little bit that helped us get into church. And in recovery, the reason I'm still in recovery today is because I'm still working on things, but the accountability that comes with it. And I thought it would be fun for us to kind of talk about the different ways to maybe uh, get sober, if you will, um, ways that we can. Not everybody got sober the way you and I got sober. Right. And I, I wanted to kind of hash some of those things out for our listeners and because I don't want – we talk a lot about the 12 steps, but I don't want everybody to think that's the only way we believe that it's possible. Yeah, and for me, the getting sober was always the easiest part. It was the staying sober that I had trouble with. You know, all the different rehabs and, and treatment uh, places that I went and different forms of treatment that I got. I was always star student, you know. I always did all my teacher's homework, pet. teacher's pet, yeah, and did all my homework. You know, followed the rules mostly. And but it would it would be when I got out that I had trouble. And so, so let's talk about some of those different, you know, di- the different ways of the getting sober part. The the initial getting sober. Well, let's start with the treatment centers. Um, did. For me, I, I began my, you know, I, I toyed a little bit and some other things to begin with, but my for my real initial way of getting sober started in a treatment center for me. And I was fortunate enough to have insurance. I think a lot of people miss that part because usually we're at the end of our rope by the time we get sober and nobody has insurance. But I did fortunately have insurance enough to where I could go into a, uh, a local treatment center. And when I when I use the word treatment center, I mean somewhere that would take me in and detox me. Right. That was one big benefit of going into a treatment center. I was scared to death because I was coming off so many opiates that I was going to die. And that was my biggest fear. I knew that I was going to hurt the pain with, you know, the withdrawals, all the things that came with that was going to be bad. But I was just really afraid that I was going to die coming off that stuff and the nurses and the doctors reassured me and my mother both that i couldn't die coming off of right. opiates you just feel like you oh yeah they, they, that's exactly what they said that you will feel like you're dying but you will not die and it was different if you were on benzos or alcohol and, and they named some, several things and and i'm by no means a doctor telling anyone else what to do yeah that's just what was shared with me yeah we're only sharing our experience personal experience <laughs> exactly. here but that was a, a big relief to know that they could give me some medications to help me. I think phenobarbital was the big yeah. thing they used there. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of helped. It put me in a fog. I don't really know what it was. Uh, I think it's some sort of a low-grade narcotic or Barbiturate. something. Barbiturate. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you used to sell those or something? No, I mean, I just... <laughs> you rattled that off real quick. You know, because of my drug history, I just retained a, not, a lot of knowledge about drugs. Oh. So... But they gave me that, and I remember it helping some. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think another thing they gave me was, like, trazodone. Yeah, help And that helped sleep. me with sleep because yeah. I just couldn't sleep well. well. Really, I slept all during the day, and at nighttime I couldn't sleep. That didn't last long, though, for me because, you know, they put me straight over into, like, the cottages to where I could um, begin getting into the rhythm of, of recovery. 
And for me, I was very grateful for my time in a treatment center. I tell my sponsees and everyone else that that asked me, should I go into treatment? What treatment did for me personally was it gave me an opportunity to step away from responsibilities. Right. For, you know, I think it was 17 days I was in treatment. And I didn't have to worry about my bills being paid or getting to work or where my kid was at, any of those things. For 17 days, it was about me getting away from stuff and realizing where I was at. Yeah, it slows you down and stops you in your tracks because you're you're living there. You know, you're a resident somewhere other than where you were living. Um, there And there were several times I went to a residential rehab where I, I didn't have a place to live. So it was, you know, a step up from what I what i had at the time uh you know i was getting getting meals every day and but you know what it's exactly the same for me it's it stopped me in my tracks long enough to at least think about what was happening and what was going on and you know i got introduced um to uh to the 12 steps for the first time in in treatment center too you know most of the time in a 28 day rehab which i went to several of those most of the time, you know, they just give you a little introduction to the 12 steps. Not all not all rehabs do that, but the ones I went to, the 28-day places I went to, that's all they did is they, they said, here's the 12 steps. They maybe skimmed over one, two, and three. And then, you know, after 20 day, 28 days is over, they're like, here's a big book. Here's literature. Now go find meetings and, you know, best of luck. That's exactly what happened to me. They handed me a big book after 17 days. And, and for those who don't know, that's kind of the main literature for Alcoholics Anonymous. And they handed me that book so I'd go find some meetings. And it was up to me Oh yeah, what was going to happen at that point. It was cool because we had a lot of speakers come in while I was there. And they would give their testimonies. And they would you know talk about different things. And so I actually got to meet some people from my area that was there. And that's kind of how I got started in meetings because I I did meet some faces of or some people there that I felt comfortable with, and that's how I found my first AA home group was that way. And that was the first place I ever was like, oh, that person is like me, you know. I I did drugs and drank alcohol like this guy who's up there saying he's ten years sober, and he you know he seems like he's doing okay now, so he found something that worked you know and 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 that was that was like the first little glimmer of hope you know that i had was hearing somebody's story you know that had that had recovered and was in recovery from from drugs and alcohol hearing that they had been able to to stay sober i finally had a little bit of hope um you know as as far as the treatment center as far as the detox getting back to that just I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit. I went to a couple places where they detox me, you know, with the different, the different drugs that we're talking about and even, you know, Suboxone and, and, and whatever. Um, it, it, it was nice to not hurt so bad physically coming off, but you know, the last time that I got sober, Coming up on six years ago, I I didn't detox. I came off cold turkey, and it was horrible, really horrible. But you know, it, it, I remember it a lot more vividly now, and it almost is is kind of like this this marker in my life of 
remembering how bad I felt and I don't want to feel like that again. And so I don't want to I don't want to get myself into that position again. So I think there's benefits to even doing the cold turkey thing. Now, of course, it does depend on a lot of factors there. That's not ideal. But just because I was detoxed, it didn't help me after I got out of the treatment center in staying sober. One of the things I've noticed this is, and I think some of our listeners can will be in this in these shoes, is that for a lot of us that it's just not an option for us to be able to go to a treatment center. And so we have to detox it home. We have to go through the pain. And I don't think nobody wants to go through that who's who who knows what withdrawals are all about, who's who's felt those before. <laughs> Maybe because you're out of money and mismanaged <laughs> your, your your dope that evening. I've done that, I get it, and you know, ran out of money for several days in a row where you had to feel that. But and nowadays things are, are so much different that used to be I don't know how, how you are and this is probably sounds crooked or shady and call it what you will. <clears throat> When I first got into recovery, found out that um, there wasn't always an option for people to go into inpatient, um, no insurance or whatever. And so we could tell them that you could go to the emergency room and I could tell them what to say so they would be admitted in into the emergency room. Uh, a certain script of things to say oh, yeah. to where they could get in and I've, get medical yeah. attention. Yeah, I've told people that same that same thing, and I've actually done that same right. thing, too. Because, I mean, you know, when you're feeling that bad, you know, you you don't want to feel that way anymore. So you'll you'll do that. And, you know, it, it, it's just a good first step. Detox is a good first step. I always advise people, if you can get detox, you need to get detox. Because it, it, it's just... It's better when you're in a medical environment when you're coming off of those drugs. But that's not even an option so much anymore. Right. I, I've sent people up to the emergency room or went with them and said, these are the things you should say. And they don't do it anymore. They beat me home. You know, yeah. like I, I don't know if the medical field have just quit dealing with that um, or they've seen through the smoke and mirrors. I don't know what what's happened. Even the, the rehab I went to, people have told me now that there's other alternatives to even going in and detoxing there you know on site and we'll talk about some of those in a minute but um i want to just hit this real quick before we move on to our next part of this is that there were some things i was taught early on in recovery that could help you detox if you had no insurance if you had no way of doing it and some of that was just simply like sugar and honey chocolates those things were just things that helped and that sounds crazy but when you got nothing it's better than nothing right oh yeah and one thing that helped me was was sweating you know have you ever you ever heard that one just to get out there and sweat and try to sweat out some of the some of the toxins in your in your body dude i didn't feel like doing anything <laughs> oh, no there's no way i could have went and sweated anything well there was one time where i didn't have a choice where i went to a um of a facility that didn't where you worked you know and um we had a car wash and you know you're out there washing cars in 90 degree heat god bless you yeah. <laughs> that's all i can say man there's no way so you know you were sweating it out a lot and um, and it and even though i felt horrible i could tell that it did help some 
So, you know, there's the whole exercise. You know, a lot of people say you need to you need to exercise as much as possible, even though you that's the last thing you feel like doing. Uh, I've always heard that that's a good one. Well, there's about five to seven days there, maybe four to seven days that, I mean, I just felt like I was dying. But then physically, I started getting a little bit better. But, you know, emotionally and spiritually, I was still... I was shot. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, and when you're and when you're withdrawing really bad, especially from opiates, you know you can't trust your mind because your mind is just sitting there figuring out how to get high again, and it will talk you into any scenario to try to get you to leave rehab or the treatment place you're in, or to quit detoxing or whatever. I mean, it will it will play some serious tricks on you to try to get you to go get high again. Yeah, the biggest thing I heard in rehab, and, and this was me too, I called my mom. Hey, mom, come get me out. I need to get home. I'm not making no money up here, and I got to make some money. I got to pay my bills. I ain't paying my bills in a year, but all of a sudden I'm, I'm concerned about my bills. Yeah, or the other one that I hear a lot is, um, well, you know, I can't, I can't go, you know, a month or two months or whatever without seeing my kids. I'm like, you hadn't seen your kids you ain't, been months their, anyway. you ain't been in their life in forever. So, yeah, we we come up with all kind of excuses, especially when you're when you're withdrawn because you just feel so horrible and your mind just plays tricks on you. One of the things that I said I was was going to get back to is this, and I don't know this to be completely true, but I was told this. So, um, don't hold me to this, but I could see where it is because it's kind of the society we're moving into. Is now if you call um, like the rehab I went to. They would, they sometimes refer you out to other clinics that do methadone or suboxone. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Suboxone. Yeah, suboxone. And um, and so that was their alternative. I'm not a fan of either of the two. Now, um, I never did a lot of that. I got sober when everybody was kind of going in the methadone craze. I don't know how big of a deal it is now because I've been sober for a little while now. But um, I know Suboxone, Suboxone, I can't even say it right. I feel like an old timer yeah. here. But um, That was know, before your time. That oh, was before, I've never yeah. even seen one. I know yeah. it's a little strip or something you tear off or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I took acid that way. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. But um, those are the two things. And, and I don't know if that's a, a way of detoxing or not. And I think that's the way they're intending it in, in this application, if the rehab's sending it. But... I'm just not a fan of it at all. If if I've got to be on that, I well, I don't know personally know anyone who has taken it and has maintained long term sobriety. Well, then therein lies the problem of the question: Are you sober if you're taking suboxone or methadone daily? Because it, it's a it is a narcotic, and it is methadone is a synthetic opiate. And um, so my answer to that is no. I don't think you're really sober if you're taking narcotics every day. But there's a caveat to that, though. Please address those to Jason at Soberholic Podcast at well, Gmail. <laughs> so I say no, but I, I went to a methadone clinic for or almost two years, and I, and I took Suboxone every day for around two years, maybe a little longer than two years. And so from my personal experience only, when I was going to the methadone clinic, was the worst I ever was as far as, I mean, that was the highest I was ever getting. I, mean, I went from shooting up heroin daily 
And when I started going to methadone clinic, I was getting way higher off of the methadone. And that's when I started getting arrested. That's when everything really started going downhill to me. So you will never convince me that methadone is any form of treatment whatsoever. You'll never convince me of it. It's legal dope to me. So, but with Suboxone, I, I do believe that Suboxone is much better than methadone. And, and I think it, I don't think you, I don't think it's right to group it with methadone where they're the same thing because they're not the same thing. So when I was taking methadone, I did have periods of time where I, I, I felt sober because I was taking the dosage like I was supposed to. I wasn't using any other drugs. <laughs> That's the main thing that people, you know, usually mess up with with these opiate maintenance drugs is, you know, they're usually smoking weed with it or smoking crack with it or 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 drinking on it or do, doing something else. And so it's not a, you know, they're supplementing it. And when I was taking Suboxone, I was and I was taking it like I was supposed to, I was able to hold, you know, a job you know, decently, um, I didn't feel high because the drugs in Suboxone, they, they have a ceiling effect where if you take more of it, it doesn't do anything. You know, you can't, you can only get to a certain level. It doesn't let you get high if you're taking it like you're supposed to. And so with Suboxone, my feelings are like this. I, I have known people and I've been this person before where I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work on this. I'm not going to work on my addiction. I'm not going to deal with these issues that are causing my addiction. And if I don't take Suboxone, I'll just be shooting up. So in that scenario, if somebody is like, I'm going to keep on shooting up drugs, keep on shooting up heroin, or take Suboxone, yeah, definitely take Suboxone because it is much better than shooting up. And and I, I have friends that are on Suboxone. And they, you know, basically said, you know, I'm not going to do 12-step recovery. I'm not going to do recovery. You know, I'm just going to take some boxing the rest of my life. And so the alternative to to IV heroin use every day, I mean, it is much better. And I've, I've told some of those people, you know, just, I guess, keep doing some boxing. If you're, if you're not going to really take an honest look at yourself and try to deal with some of these issues, well, then that, that's better. Well, I don't want to be a prisoner to anything, and that's what I feel like either of those could do to you. Here, here's the, the I guess maybe my debate to that would be when I came out, came well, I got sober. Um, we've we've talked. There's several things about me, um, injuries that I, I've had over the years that doctors will easily write me prescriptions, Lortabs, Percocets, which it would, it would be Norco's now, but um, um, those things. I could easily get a prescription for, and I could easily convince myself to take them. The problem with me and my tendencies, because I do believe I'm an addict, I've proven that multiple times, is that even if the bottle says take one for morning and bedtime, I will end up taking another one during the middle of the day because, you know, I hurt a little bit. Yeah. And then I'll take two more because my dog got ran over. Yeah. And, and the, it keeps going on. And so it's almost like what you mentioned in the, in the rehab centers is that my mind will do whatever it takes for me to get high. So I think the same principle applies with methadone. If you're doing this, it's easy to convince yourself to go get high with something else. If I'm 
whatever the case may be, I see that either of those options for me is chaining me to a daily taking of something to change my mood. It may be a better of lesser of two two evils, but I, I just know personally that there's an opportunity to do it with nothing. And with that, I digress. Well, I mean, when I look back on the when I was on Suboxone in particular, when I look back, I don't consider that sober time because I, I look at it as I was kicking the can down the road because I was still having to take something. And the problem with a lot of those maintenance drugs that are touted as miracle drugs by a lot of the medical community is, you know, you're not dealing with any of the underlying issues that make you want to get high. And so I would find myself, even though I was taking Suboxone every day, I still wanted to get high. And I and I would I would use other things I would I would smoke weed or or drink or do whatever and then that would get me to wanting to stop Suboxone so I could you know go back to the heroin or whatever which I did you know several times and so it's to me you know if you if you use Suboxone for a couple weeks to to as a detox to to taper down to stop using you know IV heroin or whatever I think that's one thing. But when you just tell yourself, I'm just going to take this the rest of my life, I think that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. I would completely agree with that statement. If you're using it as a way to detox in a way because you can't go in for whatever reason, but there should be a plan on the front hand of when you're coming off of it. Right. Um, not, well, I've got a prescription, I'm going to keep doing it, because that's the argument I've been posed with by many people that, oh, I've got a prescription to do it. Well, that don't mean necessarily mean it's a good idea. Yeah, and a lot of that is, you know, that's the reason why the opiate epidemic is so bad now, is because of you know the way the drug industry is in America, which we I don't want to get all into that, but you know they don't want you to get off of these things, and I've seen that same thing play out with with Suboxone is, you know, doctors will say, hey, this is you know we'll 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 plan on you know, tapering you down, and then they just never do because there's nothing in it for them to taper you off of it. Well, there's another way I've seen some people get sober, and this could be debatable, especially if you're not a Christian. But what about people who just go to church? And for however, maybe it's going to church, maybe it's an encounter with, with Christ, maybe it's at an altar, but what, for whatever reason or however it happens in the church atmosphere, they just get sober. There's no step work. There's no nothing. It's just we're sober. Yeah, I mean, you you see, and that there there's some twelve step um, literature that you know talks about having a spiritual change, or I think the term uses a psychic change. And I, I think especially especially with the spiritual side of it, you can have a spiritual awakening. You know, in a church service that can motivate you, you know, so much to actually make some changes in your life. And there's, you know, there's different types of of alcoholics and different types of of drug addicts that, you know, they don't need as much pain to motivate them to actually change. I I I've seen several people that, you know, they they got saved and in a church service and they just they just put the drugs and alcohol down and didn't even have to go to a treatment or rehab center because that was enough for them. Um, they didn't, you know, they weren't 
they were just motivated enough, you know, through that experience and through meeting the Lord uh, in that way, in that service, you know, just to drop those things. There was one guy that I I got to know that it worked the same way for him, but it was with cigarettes. And he used to carry them in his pocket right there on his chest. And he went to the altar, prayed, and, and whatever happened, God moved in his life. And from that point on, he said he wasn't going to smoke anymore and had no desire to smoke anymore. But he literally walked around with the cigarettes in his pocket for, I don't know, it was a year or two with, with the cigarettes there, just as a reminder that I'm not going to smoke. Now, that was insanity to me because I used to smoke, <laughs> yeah. and there's just no way I could just keep from that temptation being right there. But he never has. This has been, I mean, 20, 30 years he hasn't smoked. Yeah, and I've seen people, you know, I know people personally that they were they were delivered, you know, from their drug addiction and alcoholism instantly, instantaneously. They didn't have to do 12 steps. They didn't have to go through a mapped out process like we see in the 12 steps. And so I, I firmly believe that that is definitely possible and definitely happens. It's just that it's it's the rare bird that I see. Well, that definitely did not happen for me. And I can tell you why I believe that God didn't choose to do that for me is because I would have been very ungrateful. I would have believed that for somehow or another, I would have done that myself and that he had nothing to do with it, or that's what I would have convinced myself. And so it took me using a 12-step program, which is one of the other things that we could talk about, is I had to have a, my threshold for pain was very high. I could take a lot of it, whereas I don't know if you go to an altar and get it or not. But for me, I was I was willing to just wallow around in my pain for a long time. And it took what it took for me to get sober so that God could work in my life. I found my first place in a 12-step meeting, but it was an AA. You know, we've talked about that. But um, And I say, and I, I specifically say that because... I'm a supporter of Celebrate Recovery now because I don't believe that um, the sobriety will give me salvation. Only Jesus can do that. Right. And and that's I didn't know that's what I was looking for, but that's what I was looking for through it all. And so when I made it to AA, I found the the steps, and that's really where I got first got sober, and I could count years of my sobriety towards that. Had I went to uh, a Celebrate Recovery from the beginning, I don't know that you and I would be sitting here having this conversation because I was so resentful towards God and Jesus because that was the the religious atmosphere I was brought up in. I didn't want to have nothing to do with them. And so if that was part of my steps, I don't know that I would have finished them. Yeah, and, and for me, with yeah, I, we both entered – through this whole thing in the same way i you know was in secular 12 steps for a while and but i was just there you know to save my butt you know they you, you hear the saying you go to you go to aa to save your butt but they don't say butt and you go to uh church to save your soul and uh you know with with the secular aa you know you always hear people say well you know what about the whole choose your higher power thing? Don't you have a problem with that? And I was like, well, yeah, I do believe that there's only one higher power, and that's Jesus Christ. But 
the 12 steps are they're just biblical principles and whether you're a believer or not if you exercise those biblical principles in your life you'll get good things um that's because god's truth is just in the world you don't have to be a believer to to get good things out of biblical principles but you know my my argument against you know that is well, wouldn't you want the person to be at least alive and stay alive? That way they at least have a chance, you know, to to meet Jesus Christ, hopefully at some point in their life. You know, because if they if they just continue on their path of addiction, then they'll they'll just end up dead anyway. And so that's why, like, I still, you know, see, you know, I still look, even though I don't go to secular meetings as much anymore, hardly at all, uh, I still look. I still think they're great. I still, you know, am a big supporter of them, always will be, you know, because it's still the the 12 steps are the 12 steps, no matter what format you get them in. I just, you know, I I find that exercising them through celebrate recovery, you know, I feel more, more at peace to be able to do them in a way that's more in line with my beliefs. This is kind of... My transition to the steps, maybe transition is not the best word to use, but I got sober in AA and met my wife in AA, and which probably isn't the best thing, but it's worked great for us. Um, probably not that well, it is not the advice I would give to someone <laughs> yeah. else, <laughs> but um, it's, it's worked well for us. And after about seven years, um, we, we grew together. Um, and we would tell everyone that spiritually, this is what we did. We went to AA, and that's how we were growing spiritually. But then there come a point where we've kind of we I, I don't I don't well, I don't want to sound arrogant, but we kind of outgrew AA. I mean, there was nowhere else for us to to draw to draw from spiritually. Uh, we needed a teacher, and that's where we found Jesus, and we found him in the church. We were we were in both of us. It was a desire to find more. And that's when we sought out a church. And I guess you could do secular meetings in church. I know people that do that. And, and, but I wanted mine to come together. And that's where CR and the church met. I, could, I didn't have to be two different people. I could be a Christian practicing the 12 steps. You know, and that's what I did. Through that process, I've come to find my Savior, and I've come to find my salvation, and I'm also sober. When I was out doing drugs, all I wanted to be was happy. You know, I just wanted things to get better. Well, things got better when I was in AA. But then I I started to question, you know, what good is it just to get sober and die? There's got to be more. And so that's where I came into saying, you know, I started really looking back on those childhood beliefs I had about Jesus and about God. And as I did some step work, I realized that they didn't do to me all the things that had happened, but they allowed those things to happen. There was consequences for my actions. That was only because AA allowed me to work some steps in my life. And I found that through, you know, I I tell people all the time, even in my testimony, I prayed for Jesus to save me next to a rehab bed. Was that where I got saved? I don't know. I tell people sometimes that's where I got saved, but I didn't really follow Christ after that. I just, I didn't go to church or anything. I still cussed. I smoked. I did everything that looked worldly. But then there came a point where I went to church and I began practicing some of the things I believed. And that's happened over many years. And there's still failures in my life. 
But there's a desire now for me to share Christ with others and and live by His Word. And so somewhere in that picture of of several years, I got saved. I couldn't tell you a sobriety date like we do, you know, that, or salvation date, I guess would be the way of saying that. But it happened, and you couldn't convince me that I'm not saved today. So I say all that to say this. Um, I believe that you can get sober in either program, you know, whether it be a a Christian 12-step or a non-Christian 12-step. But I believe that if you're really looking for a purpose with your life, some meaning to your life, then then Jesus has to be part of that. And for me, and I know this is no surprise because we talk about 12 steps a lot, the 12 steps, like you, I feel like it was the best way, you know, for me to get sober um, you know, because of the pr- the process along the way, I was able to learn so much, you know, that I would have never learned had, had I would have just been zapped and just delivered instantly of it. And, you know, that kind of brings us to the, the last um, way of getting sober that, that you know, is, is talked about a lot. And there's a lot of different there's actually just whole deliverance ministries that exist where you can just be instantaneously healed of an addiction and a, or a habit or whatever. And, you know, what do you think about those? Well, this is where we'll probably get a lot of hate mail here. But I know for me, is it possible? Maybe. I mean, I believe God can do anything. But I don't believe that just because you can beat me enough with with the word that I'm just going to instantaneously just choose to stay sober. I don't believe that you can come and lay your hands on me and just tell me that I'm never going to do drugs again and me just not do drugs again. There's um there's some parts of that 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 I'm I just I'm, I'm not okay with. Um, and there's some parts of it that I believe is possible. Uh, maybe I'm on the fence, if you will, with some of this. Because I, I don't want to say that God's not capable of using anything. I believe that we can. he could use acupuncture to get me sober if he wanted to. But is that a practical way of getting sober? For me, no. Now, if, you, if you're if you using the deliverance ministry, because that's, that's really a large that chunk a, there. Yeah, that's a general term. Yeah. Um, if we're looking at a lot of like faith-based um, rehab may not be the word ministries, for it. Ministries, transformation ministries. Where you go in and, you know, we're going to fill you with enough word that you'll never want to use drugs again. Um. Bible boot camps is one way I've said this to some people. Yeah. Is that I, I don't could it work? Yes. I mean, but um, I mean, it worked last time for me. This last time I, I I went to a treatment. That's where I went. Is it was basically a Bible boot camp. They did have some twelve step teaching in there and some recovery based teaching in there too, but it was mainly a Bible boot camp. But I I, I feel like if you want to get sober, you can get sober in a shoebox. You know, the the method doesn't necessarily matter as much as your motivation to get sober. Well, the part that I think that that misses is the accountability factor after you leave. If you go to any ministry, I believe that it's possible, or any rehab or treatment center, whatever you want to call it, and you're there around other like-minded people, you can stay sober for 14, 28 days. Right. It's not significant clean time. It's when you leave there, what are you going to do then? And oftentimes, 
and listen to me, listeners. If you if you can hear my words, hear this. Just because you go into treatment and you come out, you're not sober. You're just beginning the process with a clear mind at that point. Right. So many people think if I can just get my child into treatment, my problem's gone. No, your problem's really just beginning. But you're you're dealing with someone with a, a sober mind or semi-sober mind. Even twenty days, twenty eight days sober is just enough to start making some decisions. Right. And then, I mean, it can even take longer than that for you know depending on what kind of drug you're you're coming off of i mean it can be months until your you know brain is producing the right kind of chemicals and your mood's balanced out and all that what would you how how long was it when you were sober before you could say you were making responsible decisions this last time probably around four to six months Ooh, i would say a year for yeah. me i mean really uh, that I before I was making mature rational decisions again, I would say a year up into that point, I needed someone else to really tell me what to do. And 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 during any kind of treatment stint, you know, I just don't believe that, you know, even the longer term ones like the faith based ones that are six months or a year long mm-hmm. programs, you know, the whole time you're there, it's just not significant clean time. I I, I you know. Because it's just easy to stay sober when you're in a controlled environment like that. It's it's when you get out that is the tough part. And easy may not be the best word. I get what you're it's saying. Easier, easier. Because um, if you're sitting there, there's no easy way of getting sober. Uh, but I completely agree with what you're saying. I just don't want our listeners to get kind of get bent out of shape with, sure. uh, with us here. Is that getting sober is difficult? I don't care which way you go. But there are options that work for some people better than others. And I don't believe that we're opposed to any of the ones that we've mentioned today, given its own right. You know, if even the Suboxone methadone that I'm probably opposed to the most out of any of them, if they're given for a set period of time to use the detox and come off and stay clean, I think they're a great tool. But I don't think that's true recovery. I think that's a tool. Right. For me, uh, and I'll always stand by this because it's worked for me. I can't argue with something that's worked for me. The 12 steps have been the thing that works, not only in drugs and alcohol, but with several life issues in my life. And that's the reason I still do it today is because it's practical. It's something that it's, I don't know if tangible is the best word, but I believe that I can I, I can do something. There's some action for me, and, yes. I, and I like to be a person of action. It's not just happening by accident. You're not just, you know, you're not getting out and then trying to maintain your sobriety by accident and just by a wish and a prayer. That's like, a great I, I hope I just don't, I hope I stay sober today. You know, you you have things to do. You have accountability and a recovery network set up in your life. Uh, I'd, I'd love us to later on do a, do a show about preventing relapse at some point. But, you know, the bottom line to getting sober is the first thing is the person has to want to. Uh, that's it. You if can't you don't make want someone to, get sober. Yeah, if you don't want to, well, then it's not going to work. I'm, I know me and you all the time have people tell us, I would love for you to talk to my my daughter, or I would love for you to talk to my son or my, or my sister. You know, they're struggling with drugs and alcohol. And I always tell them the same thing. I, I say, well, do they want to get sober? Well, well, I don't know, but could you just talk to them? And I say, well, no, I will give you my number, and they can call me. Because 
I'm not going to just, I mean, we, we, you know, you can't just go start running people down and say, hey, you need to get sober. That is an awkward conversation, yeah. too. Hey, hey, your mom said you was on heroin. Let's have a talk. Let's have a talk. You don't even know me. <laughs> so, you know, the, the desire has to be there first. And, you know, that's the most important part is that there has to be a desire to change or else they'll, they'll, there won't be any getting sober. And you can't do it for your kids or for your mom or for anybody else. It has to be you. You want to change for you. And those are the things that we found that have worked. And out of all the things mentioned, I think there's probably even there, – well, there are many more other ways that we haven't even discussed. But those are the ones that we see the most of. And regardless of the ones we mentioned today, if, if you've got a loved one who really is looking for, for help, um, you know, you can pass our email off to them, soberholic at podca- soberholicpodcast at gmail.com, and let them get a hold of us. Um, we'd be glad to steer them in some directions of maybe some rehabs or other alternatives, of uh, 12-step meetings, any of those things to help them along their way. And I guess that's another episode in the books. Yeah. Well, with all those things said, I guess we're going to wrap it up. You know, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.